This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, for our 100th episode is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing? You know, Chad, I'm great, except for whatever reason, when you read that header right there for the 100th time, it sounded wrong to me for some reason. (laughs) I mean, I, I went a little <laughs> off script, but I mean... <laughs> but you didn't, though. It was the rewatching and discussing bit. And I was like, that's not what we've always said. And it's what we've literally always said. So, yeah, 100 episodes. And here we are. It's exciting uh, as we're, what, about halfway through season nine? Um, yeah, I was about to say through the show, I was like, Katie, are you okay? <laughs> but, but we, we're, we're way past that. <laughs> way past that. was like that. 100 episodes ago. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> No, we're, um, yeah, about halfway through season nine. I don't know. It's it's really neat. We were just discussing before we hit record that I guess that means about 50 a year with two weeks of missing, so, or just doing life things. So feels good to be somewhat on track here and uh, and wrapping up here pretty soon. So everybody knows where we stand. We're at 100 episodes. I just refreshed the stats on our podcast metrics tracking page. We have, from all of you lovely listeners, 961,000, approaching 962,000 total downloads, which is mind-boggling. We're hopefully, fingers crossed, going to reach a million before we even wrap this whole thing. And then it's out there for everybody to keep listening to. And I am so like humbled by that to, to reach the end of a creative project like this. I, I never expected the, and I say this humbly, the level of success that we have gotten from this show. And it's because Office fans are the best, and all of you, our listeners, are the best. So thank you for 100 episodes now of talking about the best TV show out there. Yeah, I can agree that this is not at all what we thought the listenership (laughs) would be, which is really cool. I don't know what I thought the listenership would be. This is my first podcast. Chad's done other ones, (laughs) but uh, man, this is cool. Well, it's really funny. Uh, Just a, a glimpse into what happened. So. Looking at our first few months of doing the show, we launched in like August, late July of 2017. We we got a few thousand downloads up to January of 2018. By that point, we had reached 5,000 downloads. And all of a sudden, in February, we jumped up to 22,000. And it is like spiraled out of control since then. Last month, we had our largest number of downloads in a single month ever. And it, it just blows my mind that Again, Office fans are the best. So thank you once again. That is 100 episodes of podcast. That is 110 hours of podcast, in case you were curious, uh, with an average duration of an hour and four minutes, <laughs> the kind of stats that our site provides for us. I was going to say, so, did you come up with that yourself? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I did the math. I crunched all the numbers. <laughs> Anyways, all that to say, once again, thank you all. We're so glad to be still talking about this show and sad to be wrapping up, but happy to be coming to the end of such an endeavor. Well, let's add another hour on to our log here by discussing a couple more episodes. But before we get to that, we have uh, some people to thank. We have emails from Melanie, from Aiden, Evan, and Ron. We also have a Facebook post uh, recommending the podcast from Sarah and a new Apple podcast review from a name I will not even begin to pronounce. It is a <laughs> random string of consonants that begins with the letter M. So thank you. I'm going to call you M. Thanks, M. And lots of Twitter interaction this week as well from Karen, Eddie, Michelle, Columbia America 76, Marta, Nate, Mike, 
Fat Irishman, Angel, Telegram 13, and Brayden. We love talking with people on our favorite platform, which is Twitter. So if you're not on Twitter, get out there just to talk with us about The Office. We'd love that. What is Facebook? I don't... I, I, a place <laughs> where I sometimes post the podcast to... <laughs> well, that... Honestly, Facebook <laughs> is how we exploded in the first place. So thank you to Facebook. True. Thanks, yeah, Facebook. We, we I'm like not Twitter bashing Facebook. I just don't <laughs> post on Facebook much. But yes, Twitter. Okay. Uh, moving into our first episode of discussion, Lice. Lice aired January 10th, 2013, directed by Rodman Flunder and written by Nikki Schwartz-Wright. Pam, no judgment, has been taking a bit of a trip on the struggle bus now that Jim is spending a few days a week in Philadelphia with his new business. And things get worse when Cece gets lice, and they get even worse when Pam accidentally infects the office with them. And the others, understandably, blame Meredith, uh, more or less expected. And Pam struggles between telling the truth or keeping the easy scapegoat. The judgment on Meredith actually starts at the very beginning when Pam comes in looking really rough and Aaron greets her thinking that she's Meredith. So Pam is not doing so hot. She doesn't want to tell Jim, though, that she's exhausted, and she absolutely is. I'm sure that raising two kids, especially when like mom and dad leave for the same time at work every day together, you know, that, that helps a whole lot having the same schedule. And now Jim is gone. He's in Philly in this big meeting. So she's been doing everything by herself for a while now, and she's just pooped. And now there's the whole ice thing. But she doesn't want to bother Jim about it because he has this big, huge meeting today. And Jim is just doing great. Jim is playing ball with his like childhood heroes. <laughs> He's he is a happy man. I struggle a lot with Jim and Pam in this episode. Not not for like any negative reason towards like the creators of the show. It's just like Jim started this whole thing by hiding the fact that he started this business from his wife. And now they're on the same page, supposedly. But they are both hiding information from each other. And, I mean, when is that ever going to go well? Yep, they're trying to maybe hide to protect the other person from feeling upset or disappointed or jealous or nervous or whatever it might be. But that's not what relationships are about. Relationships are about honesty and openness and telling them everything, especially marriage, especially when you have kids. Like, you have to be honest with each other. You have to talk with each other. and. Here, Pam is saying, you know, he's under a lot of pressure, so I don't want to share this with him. And he's doing it for the family. And in that moment, I'm just not convinced that she's convinced. There might be situations where hiding the truth to protect someone is admirable. But in a relationship, like I said, especially in marriage, you you just you deserve to receive full honesty from the other person. And neither of them are giving it to each other in this episode. Yeah, when she says, oh, he's under a lot of stress, he's doing it for the family. I just want to yell at her. So are you. You are also under a lot of stress and you are also doing it for the family. You are just as much a part of this and you deserve happiness just as much as, as he does. I'm thankful for her for, you know, supporting Jim and letting him do his thing. But she is not any less deserving of a good, you know, a good day than he is. So, yeah, Pam is hiding that her time is going pretty crappy. And Jim is hiding that his time is going pretty great because reasons. It just doesn't bode well for the future i don't think and that's not me projecting what's happening next in the the next episode or anything that's just me saying you know this is a relationship and you you have to talk or things aren't going to go well now when it is discovered 
via Meredith scratching your head like an ape that lice have broken into the rest of the office, people come down on Meredith pretty hard because, like I said, she is the easy scapegoat. In fact, Meredith buys the fact that she probably did do this, that this is probably her fault. She she says, you know, I know what I am. Nobody's taken Meredith Palmer to the opera to meet the queen. And she's right. But in this one circumstance, and she has a funny talking head about this later, in this one circumstance, it wasn't Meredith. It was Pam. Now, Pam is trying super hard to get people to leave Meredith alone because she knows that Meredith isn't the one who brought in the lice. But she just doesn't speak up and take the credit. And I, I don't want to be too hard on Pam for this because, one, like I said, Meredith is the easy scapegoat. She takes it in stride normally and she she knows what people think of her and she's okay with that she's accepted that part of herself and two pam was literally on her way to tell meredith that it was her when here's the big thing that happens meredith she finds meredith shaving her head so she tried and then after that point it was understandably difficult to fess up because then you feel responsible for what meredith did to herself i mean honestly if you ask me what pam should have done from the beginning is emailed everyone a warning a like that's possibility number one just saying hey by the way cc had lice i want to let you know in case something happens uh, ahead of time like like uh phyllis used to do whenever she went on a new medication and it gave her gas or whatever it's a, it's a courtesy thing or even better take the day off <laughs> get some rest make sure you're clean i mean Talk about the cold open. We're not, I don't think we need to mention it in funny moments because it's really not that funny. <laughs> Jim takes a day off for simply biting his lip a few times. I think Pam can afford to take a day off because things are crazy and life is hard and you deserve that mental rest and rest in general. So there are a couple other options, but given the circumstances, I do think Pam tried her best with what happened. And then to make matters worse, she doesn't even get to tell anyone that she has lice or that she brought the lice to the office. Pam's mom accidentally tells everyone. It's assumed that her mom is babysitting the kids. And Pam, she has mayonnaise all over her hands, and her mom calls, so she answers it on speakerphone. And oops, her mom <laughs> tells everyone on speakerphone that Cece has lice. And so now everyone's just peeved with Pam because, yes, she not only brought in lice, but she also, it seems like, blame Meredith, even though she didn't vocally do that, but she didn't not blame Meredith. And so. Meredith is really mad and bald, and um, <laughs> Pam's just so tired, and she doesn't really know what to do now. Meredith, though, kind of awesome in this episode. Yeah. I feel badly for her because everybody's so cruel to her. Angela says, this is an office, not one of your beanbag orgies. Oscar talks about washing his hands six times a day and using toilet seat covers even when he pees, but none of that is protect protection enough, not when it comes to Meredith. And so I admire Meredith's defiance in the face of everyone's criticisms, her acceptance of potential responsibility. Like she says, you know, I'm not going to say what she says because it's gross, but she says, yeah, this could have happened. I think this happened. And then her boldness at taking such a drastic, yes, but effective course of retaliation against the lice. I mean, she shows him who's boss for sure. <laughs> I got no hair to, to chow down in anymore. So suck it, lice. <laughs> or not suck it, I guess. <laughs> the so of that. I, I, I admire Meredith. And then to top it off, when she sees how miserable Pam is now that everybody has turned against her, she says, you know, mistakes happen. I get it. This is me most of the time. Let's go grab a beer. You're paying for it, but I will gladly hang out with you and sing some Cindy Lauper. And they do. And it looks like they have a great time. And it's a really needed break for Pam. 
Meredith says, let your mom take care of the kids a little while longer. Come out with me. And it seems like Pam probably hasn't gotten to socialize much recently, especially since Jim's been away. And just nice to hang out with someone who's above, you know, three years old, even if it is Meredith. (laughs) (laughs) We do have a bit of a Val and Daryl storyline here. So Daryl, who has not been offered a job in Philly officially, he has not interviewed for a job in Philly. He is so sure that he's going to be working in Philly that he convinces Val to break up with him. Okay. He says, I'm moving and we're not going anywhere. So this is over. This is the same relationship that was so sweet up until like right now. It was a really nice relationship from all appearances anyway. And I don't know. I always liked them, but Daryl's moving up and on. So when they're down in the warehouse, Daryl kind of fake cries when Val says hi and Nellie and Kevin and Phyllis are worried that Daryl is just broken and sad. And so Nellie, in an act of goodwill, convinces the others to try to get Val back for Daryl. So they talk to Val and they do convince her. Uh, It takes a little bit, but Val has changed her mind. And I think it's so interesting. Like Daryl's whole switch here on Val, he was so into her for so long and he he pursued her even when she was dating someone else. And now he's just so flippant about her and curious as as to what you think happened there i'm not sure what happened he i mean he he says uh things were going nowhere so i don't know what i think there's a couple different ways you could interpret that maybe things are going nowhere sexually things are i i i thought she was cute but i don't want to marry her uh it was a fun fling while it lasted i mean that kind of stuff you know um but this whole thing just really feels kind of dirt baggy to me I mean, because listen, first off, he doesn't have the job. He still has to interview. This is the same cockiness that lost him the regional manager job when D'Angelo went brain dead. Mm -hmm. You know, like, hello, Daryl. This is the same thing you did last time. This is it's falsely earned confidence, even though Daryl's an awesome person most of the time. And so, like I said, it's dirtbaggy what he's doing to Val here, because if you want to break up with someone, break up. Don't don't make it seem like her idea. And have her break up with you because of some made-up reason. It's not because of possibly moving to Philly that he's doing this. It's because he said they were going nowhere. And, I mean, I say thankfully, thankfully, <laughs> it comes back to slap him in the face when this, this strategy of tricking her into breaking up with him so then he can be sad about it to earn sympathy turns into what you told us about, about everybody else convincing Val to take him back, give it a chance. It's just the way he he yucks things up and pretends he's so torn up about the breakup. He just does this to himself. And so it's kind of like, for me, uh, a contained revenge story in my mind. (laughs) Like, not real revenge, but just like, yeah, you got your comeuppance this time, Daryl. Yeah. That's what you get for trying to go about this the wrong way. Well, and it seems like Val also wasn't having her best moment because Kevin asked Val out now that she's single. and. Val is not flattered. This is not one of her <laughs> finer moments. She's just like, I don't know. I thought I could maybe kind of graduate guys from from Daryl to someone, I don't know, quote unquote, better than Daryl. And, uh, and then she says, well, then Kevin asked me out. And it seems like that's sort of what changed her mind to go back mm-hmm. to Daryl. Like, oh, I'm actually not graduating. I'm demoting. And both, I don't know, this whole situation is kind of scummy between the two of them. It's just not... Mm-hmm. They're back together, and Daryl is not happy. Erin is great in this episode. Yeah. She's intelligent, and she's helpful, 
And when it's discovered that lice are in the office, she takes charge. She tells everyone exactly what to do to get rid of the lice because growing up in the foster care system, she has had lice 22 times. So it's it's, it's obvious why she's an expert. Lots of things happen. I, I just love how she takes charge. But then to avoid being partnered with Creed for applying mayo to each other's head, uh, uh, she has Pete be her partner. And we've already talked about all kinds of things. I mean, we don't we don't need to talk too much about them being really friendly with each other because we've done that. They're still having a lot of fun hanging out with each other. They they like make designs in their hair and they pretend to sumo and they're just having a good time together. And then when it comes time to wash the mayo and the lice out of their hair, Pete takes off his shirt, leaving him leaving him in his undershirt. And I mean, he's young, he's fit, and Aaron is obviously impressed and attracted to him. And uh, they, they like smile at each other as they're rinsing each other's hair. It, it's, it's a nice moment. But at the end of the day, Pete is looking for Aaron. He asks Oscar, has she already left? And he says, oh, I guess so. And Pete looks a little disappointed and heads out. But then the camera turns and we see in the background, Aaron is just sort of hiding. Which means, again, that Aaron is being really responsible in this episode. She has discovered she has feelings for Pete. But she's still with Andy even if Andy isn't currently with her. And she's loyal. So good for Aaron on all counts in this episode. And there was a really nice foil here with Aaron gently washing his hair. It's kind of romantic and just, I don't know, very gentle. We get the big foil here with Angela and Oscar. They have been paired up to be lice buddies, and she is just slapping mayo on his head and just kind of just being overly aggressive on purpose. And when it comes time to rinse the mayo out, Angela bangs his head with the coffee maker and starts to waterboard him. I mean, it's the exact opposite of Pete and Aaron, um, which was a really nice touch writer-wise. Right. She's still very aware of the situation. The, the the blatant animosity and the sort of desire for revenge seem to be gone. But, I mean, it's not like she's accepted it. It's just an understanding of the fact that, yeah, things probably aren't going to change. So let's make sure my son and my cats don't get lies, too. And we can bang up Oscar in the process. Exactly. <laughs> As you said, our cold open wasn't terribly funny. It didn't paint Jim in a great light. Jim bites his lip two or three times in a row and just has had it and walks out he's going home so not terribly funny so skipping that <laughs> dwight has some nice lines in this episode he uh detests lice he says of all the vermin in god's great green kingdom lice are the ones i detest the most my first day of school i had lice and no one would play with me for 15 years they would call me freak and four eyes and sci-fi nerd and girl puncher all because i had lice when i was seven <laughs> Lice do all of that. It's incredible. <laughs> There's false equivalencies here all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> no, Chad, it was lice. Oh, oh, okay, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I love when he learns that there's lice. He has just walked into the office with like a mug of coffee and he tosses it aside. And he says, lock the doors. We're on full quarantine. <laughs> he just tosses his coffee. Like I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> and he, he reveals that he uses lice shampoo every morning too. He really hates them. He also has a hazmat suit. For what it sounds like, this situation alone, pretty much, uh, he, he says he uses it more than four times a year, so it makes sense to go ahead and buy it rather than rent. 
And he's just astounded that no one else has their own hazmat suits. I mean, how could you not have your own? So he sort of <laughs> quarantines the office with the people who are uh, lice-free and lice-ridden. And he can hang out with the lice-ridden ones because, again, he's protected. I could have sworn that Dwight's line about if you rent more than four times a year, it just makes sense to buy, was almost quoted verbatim from Michael about his sumo suit. And yes. I looked, and it's not... It's not exactly the same, but Michael does make a comment in Weight Loss, the start of season five, when he says, I am so glad I bought instead of rented instead because of he, he uses the sumo suit for his Michael Kumpf character. Uh, so I, I thought it was a quote. It, it might be somewhere, but I couldn't find just through quick searches and office quotes, uh, quotes anything completely similar. So that was the closest I could find, which was a little bit of a bummer because I thought that would have been a really funny connection. Yeah. Yeah. But... They each have suits that they have purchased yeah. for, for price saving. Dwight says, I'm going to stay up here and fight. If you don't hear from me by lunch, call me. I might want lunch. <laughs> he, he says that right after sending those not infected down to the warehouse for the day to stay safe and quarantine from the others. He uh, does take some action here. He suggests lying your hair, but Aaron, of course, says, no, 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 mayonnaise will work. But he does take some other action. He decides to throw an insecticide grenade, uh, which is pretty dangerous, he says. And careful, I'm going to throw this in 60 seconds, so you need to evacuate the bullpen. At that time, I'm going to toss this grenade. However, it slips. He drops it, and it goes off inside Andy's office, where Dwight is not protected in his hazmat suit and uh, experiences <laughs> some hallucinogenics. and. Uh, he tries to count down from 10 to see if that has happened yet. He says, 10, 9, yellow, cold, sad, purple. <laughs> and Aaron, Aaron says, wow, he got to purple. <laughs> She's familiar with the scouting system, it seems. I also thought it was kind of sad, his, uh, his countdown, cold and sad. <laughs> Like, and purple. And I purple. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I've just got to say, because it's funny, I'm, this isn't a criticism. The the CGI uh, or the, the bug bomb is like the most obvious instance of CGI in the whole yeah. show. <laughs> uh, both that one in Andy's office, and uh, which is conveniently vacant for Dwight to utilize. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, and then also in his car at the very end of the episode, he says, Lice, if you're watching, I'm ready for you anytime, anywhere. And then we get the other CGI explosion. It's just like, I, I think it's the most CGI shot of the whole show I can think of, aside from maybe a couple of green, uh, green screens in like the Florida episodes with Aaron. Yeah. I think those were a bit more... I pay attention to those more, but this one was pretty, uh, pretty obvious. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it's friendly. Yeah. Okay. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Aaron regarding Meredith's bald head. I love this so much. <laughs> she says, okay, nobody panic. If everyone just follows my instructions, then nobody else needs to end up bald. Not that it looks bad, Meredith. It looks, it looks awesome. You look like a cute, sorry. You look like a baby who suddenly aged 50 years. A cute baby, but something sucked the life force out of it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's so similar to her criticism of Pete's mustache a couple episodes ago. It's like positive thing, oh, but this, but positive thing, a oh, great but, cyclops but for a great cause, but it lost right. its eye. <laughs> um, you mentioned this moment, but I just want to read out the full quote because it's really funny. 
when Kevin asks Val out, he says, uh, well, what do you say to you and me hitting the town? Because I'm free, literally forever. And she has the talking head. Yeah, Kevin asked me out. I was kind of feeling good about re-entering the dating pool. But then Kevin asked me out. Thought I might trade up to a new level of man. Then Kevin asked me out. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, this, but Kevin asked me out. This, but Kevin asked me out. Like, <laughs> it's so funny how just like straight faced that talking head is. Oh, one more thing I meant to say about Erin that I forgot. I think it's so on brand for her and so sweet that she doesn't ever say she wants to kill or get rid of the lice. She says, like, pass away or fall asleep. And she calls, she them, calls little them little buddies. buddies. <laughs> oh, yeah. There we are. <laughs> yeah, she's just, it's, it's just so sweet. She talks about them like they're pets. Like, oh, well, we're just going to, they're just going to pass away. <laughs> they're just, going to the farm. Yeah. She's just so sweet. <laughs> uh Meredith has obviously her couple of funny moments in this episode as well. Uh, when Pam is going to the store to get all the mayo, this is right after Meredith has shaved her head. She, she's really sympathetic and says, hey, can I, can I get you anything special from the store? And says, sure, sure. A pack of Nicorette gum, which, you know, is a popular way people try to quit smoking. And she says, as well as a pack of cools, cigarettes. So kind of defeating the purpose just a little bit there. What's the devil nicotine? <laughs> She also has the talking head where uh, that that I alluded to earlier. She says, who's the one who didn't bring lice into the office? Meredith. Sure, I gave everybody pink eye once, and my ex keyed a few of their cars. And yeah, I BM'd in the shredder on New Year's, but I didn't bring the lice in. That was all Pam. Like, yes, I did all these awful things to these people, but this time, <laughs> just this one time. <laughs> okay, this is totally like, a Katie and me, not an inside joke, but it's like a Texas tech thing. This reminds me, and it only just now reminded me of how Texas tech like loves to brag about the fact that we beat UT back in 2008. <laughs> yep. Like it's like, now time. you may have bought, like you may have beat us like 20 points this game, but remember in 08 when we, yeah, that, that one time <laughs> and like Michael Crabtree came out to that one game in like 2012. He was like, yeah, remember in 2008 when I helped y'all beat UT and oh, well, you're not going to beat him tonight, but <laughs> something really disappointing about that whole thing is that I come from a UT family and in 08, oh. I was a UT fan. <laughs> so I didn't even get to enjoy it as a tech fan. <laughs> Anyway, different. And then you story. get to tech and you don't get any wins at yeah, that point. Yeah, so it's all bad. It's all bad. Okay. Sorry for that, that <laughs> Texas I'm tech. not sorry. Welcome to Texas football. <laughs> Insertion. <laughs> <laughs> um, Phyllis here is, uh, is feeling sorry for Daryl. She's feeling sad for Daryl with his recent breakup. Of course, he's milking it and isn't actually that sad. But Phyllis asks, what's going to make you feel better? What, what can I do? And Daryl Again, milking it says, well, when I was a kid, my grandmother used to make me chocolate cake when I wasn't feeling good. Well, she's not around anymore to do that. I think I'd need a moment to clear my head. And uh, Kevin's trying to be helpful, too. He says, I think I need some hugs and, and maybe some chocolate cake. Of course, Phyllis <laughs> is sitting there eating a chocolate muffin. And she says, oh, no, no, this won't help him. It's a muffin, not cake. <laughs> totally different. Totally. This won't. Yeah. This won't 100%. <laughs> Kevin, just before that, also says, here, man, you need that more than me. And he hands Daryl his chocolate bar. That's a big deal. Yeah. And he gives, he, he gives Daryl this awkward, like, bro hug with a simultaneous kiss on the cheek. Kind yeah. of. It's weird. 
it's really strange. <laughs> and Daryl just Jim faces the camera like, what is happening to me? What is my life? He's trying. <laughs> Kevin also, of course, they're in the warehouse, so he's fascinated with the baler. And we see him just shoving huge amounts of bubble wrap into the baler. And a warehouse worker walks past and Kevin just says, no, this is fine. We are allowed to do this. This is okay. <laughs> and then later, the baler, of course, is now malfunctioning. And Kevin kind of nervously says, oh, I, I wonder what happened over there. Uh, <laughs> I, I've been sitting here the whole time. It was you, my dude. <laughs> it, it's a, it's, this is a long time payoff because we've never seen what the baler does. Like, we've never seen it in action. And yeah. we, we still don't really get to see it in action, but we see it operating. Uh, like back in safety training, Daryl yelled at Michael about not going near it. And uh, I mean, it's just like a nice throwback to, yeah, the Baylor exists. And yeah, the Baylor is dangerous, just like Daryl talked about. And yeah, you are not supposed to touch it. <laughs> no, this is this is fine. We're allowed to do this. This is OK. <laughs> After Daryl and Val get back together, they kiss and Daryl sort of looks forlornly over Val's shoulder. Uh, we see Phyllis. It's the three of them standing together, and Phyllis is like waving her arms, like three cheers for us. And Nellie gives a big dramatic bow, and Kevin is um, thrusting. Of course. <laughs> what else would he be doing? But before that, when Nellie is trying to, and this is my last one, I think, when when Nellie is trying to convince Val to uh, to get back together with Daryl, she gives Val some unsolicited advice about Val's hypothetical life that sounds a lot like things that could have happened in Nellie's actual life. She says, let me tell you what real life is like. The men dry up and the nights get lonely. The only calls on your machine are uh, from collection agencies about that pair of motorcycle boots that you have never even worn. You stalk your old high school boyfriend online. You go to his daughter's soccer games and you make a scene. You buy a diamond ring for yourself, wear it on your right hand, and you tell yourself you're all you need. One day, you're alone, tired, at your feet, a dying bird. But where did it come from? Why did you kill it? Is it because in some strange way, it is you? Oh Yikes. boy, took a turn. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we see, we see how lonely she still is, and yeah. how still in debt she still is. So yeah, and not, she's not great stalking for people. Yeah, kind of and, funny. Uh, killing, kind killing of sad. birds and killing birds <laughs> because you know it's you. But she's gotten a lot better. I gotta say, she has. as yeah. a character, although her uh, her private life, we don't an actual glimpse into but we get these hypothetical situations that are uh, questionable <laughs> just a couple more from me pete when aaron buddies with him to get away from creed he says yeah we uh we we promised each other if we ever got lies we'd buddy up sorry man i just love quick on his feet yeah creed will buy this just in case and speaking of creed uh, at one point, he says, I hate bald people <laughs> in reference to <laughs> Meredith. I mean, Creed, you're mostly bald, buddy. Sorry. Hate to break it. Uh, you're getting there. And then when Pam is the only person left for him to partner up with, he says, oh, God, stuck with a weirdo. And then after that, when, Ma uh, when Pam has put the mayo on his head, she says, OK, it's my turn. And he says, you know, I'm sorry, Pam. It just looks a little messy. And he walks away, leaving her to do it herself. And here's why I reveal. It, it, that I, I hate mayonnaise and <laughs> the smell in this office this day I could not have handled. Not okay. Lice chow down because I'm not putting mayonnaise on my head. I'm one of those people like take it or leave it. I don't, I, it does not disgust me, but it's, it's a divisive condiment. I will tell you what. Yeah. Like I'll eat things that have mayonnaise as an ingredient, I guess like deviled eggs. Like that's fine. I think deviled eggs have mayonnaise, don't they? Or is that 
And Probably. It, what about potato salad? Maybe. No. No. Okay. No. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Give back okay. your your southern Texan card. <laughs> Gladly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Deleted scenes. So uh, Daryl, Phyllis, Pam, Toby, and Oscar are analyzing a thing that they found of Creed's. It's a large sheet of paper or maybe like some fabric with symbols and directions on it. And it looks very cryptic. Daryl thinks it might be a shopping list maybe, but Pam in a talking head realizes that it's a map. It's a really crude map of the office. There are waves, which equal water, which is the water cooler. There's an image of ham, which is the kitchen. There's a bucket, which is the bathroom. Angela is a skeleton, Daryl is a cheeseburger, and Toby is a toilet. Now remember that the bathroom is represented by a bucket, but Toby <laughs> is a toilet. Uh, Creed wanders in to the, uh, to the break room and appears completely lost. He swears he's not, of course, but he asks if anyone is going back to the bullpen soon. And when Pam says she is, he asks if she wants company because he cannot find his way back <laughs> without his map. Real quick, when have they ever called the the main part of the office the bullpen, and all of a sudden they do it once in the episode, and they do it once in the the deleted scenes? Like, have they ever done that before? You know, I was wondering that because I couldn't remember if that's just something that like the fandom called it. Because uh, I, I had, heard I had that. never even called it that. Oh, really? Like, I, yeah, I, I always just referred to it as the main office area. That doesn't mean I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Yeah. But I'd never heard that before. I had heard it. I didn't often call it that because I wasn't sure if that was a thing, but then they do it here. I don't know. I don't know. I thought about that too, but. Okay. A quick search on office quote says that Dwight mentions the word bullpen in the carpet. Mm-hmm. So when Michael is out of his office and. In the bullpen. Yeah, yeah. 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 Michael says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Old bullpen. And Dwight echoes him. That's what it is. Okay, so yeah, apparently it happened, but it was several seasons ago. And it was brief. just like a completely foreign description for me. Anyways, there are a few other things that you can see on the map if you pause it in the right place. There's a bottle of moonshine for Meredith, a home plate for himself, a stack of tires for Kevin. And the best analogy I could come up with was maybe he sees him as the Michelin man. Mm-hmm. Um, a trash can, I think, for Oscar, which would make sense, Oscar the Grouch. Uh, reception is a rainbow. There's a crude drawing of a large-breasted woman for Pam. Dwight is a gnome. There is a picture of a tuna, like a tuna fish, for Jim. There's a crossword for Stanley. Crochet needles for Phyllis. A witch for Nellie. <laughs> Fine off on a broomstick. There's a birthday cake <laughs> for the conference room, which I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the the annex, there's also a barbell, which I would assume is for Pete. And there's a baby which I guessed was for Clark, I guess, but I don't know exactly how those line up. And then there's a bag of peanuts or chips or something for the vending machine. So this is a great cold open. I wish we'd gotten this instead of the Jim biting his lip, but maybe they needed something just a little bit shorter. Yeah, because this is kind of lengthy, but it is great. (laughs) It's excellent. So uh, the next deleted scene, Jim's friend that he started the business with, I think his name is Colin. I did some researching just so I didn't call him random guy. (laughs) Uh, he approaches him at their office in Philadelphia and he says, Hey, are you cool for today? Jim says, Brosif, I'm so cool. I'm frozen. And Colin just stares like, what did you just say to me? (laughs) What was that? Are you going to talk like that later? Jim says, yeah, sorry. We'll we'll not talk like that. I'll I'll be cool. (laughs) Yeah. He seems just nervous and I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
Brosef. Like, yeah. <laughs> Kevin tells about the time that he and Stacy broke up, and he was so depressed that all he could do was sit around and eat double stuffed Oreos for weeks because uh, he was just so depressed. But he says it was the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, breakups are super fun because you get to eat Oreos. And that's right when he gives Daryl his chocolate bar and Daryl has a talking head. He says, turns out you get mad sympathy when people think you all sad about a girl dumping you. It's like when I used to pretend to be sick when I was a kid. Except these people don't see through me like my mama did. She would have whooped my ass. And he just smiles. Yeah. But yeah, obviously everybody else is in his mama. And then there's an Aaron and Pete talking head. Aaron says, mayo necornism. Uh, she's making a, a joke about the mayo. The mayonnaise is a serious problem in our society. Pete says, as is facial posturitis, also known as butthead syndrome. I'm butchering these pronunciations, but they're fake words. So deal with it. Uh, <laughs> he says, if you find someone you know and love with this condition, please get help. Aaron says, quickly, before someone spanks your face. <laughs> yeah. uh, so they're just more of them kind of flirting and, and being friendly. Yeah, Pete's hair is shaped into like a horn in the front. So that's the mayonicornism. And Aaron's is parted down the middle, not too unlike Dwight's. And they call that facial posterioritis. Yes. Butthead. Um, butthead syndrome. <laughs> in the deleted scenes, we also, in the, ep well, in the episode, we got Aaron rinsing Pete's hair. In the deleted scenes, we get Pete rinsing Aaron's hair. And he says, you know, I have to be honest. Most of my experience is from washing dogs. So no Vidal Sassoon here. Had to look it up. But also, as soon as a famous hairstylist did the same uh, thing, and, <laughs> <laughs> and they again just sort of smile at each other like they did in the episode as he rinses her hair. It's a, it's a nice moment, but obviously, Vidal, Vidal Sassoon is a pretty niche joke. Next, Angela is kind of jeering at Pam, calling her typhoid Mary, calls her disgusting. And then we see Meredith just glaring at Pam through the window. So, Pam is not very popular today. Uh, it seems even more so than. Meredith was not popular, I think, because just no one expected Pam to bring it in and then lie about it. That's interesting. I miss I, I interpreted Meredith's look from the water cooler differently. To me, it looked like a look of sympathy. Oh, um, OK. Like like that was the first instance of her seeing Pam being treated the way Meredith is normally treated. Hmm, um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying I'm right and you're wrong. No. It's just it, up to interpretation, I guess. I, I need to look at it again. Yeah. Yeah. So the very last deleted scene, and I've got to be honest, everybody, we love deleted scenes. We love watching deleted scenes and we love talking about deleted scenes. But some of these season nine episodes have like 10 minutes of deleted scenes and they take forever to take notes on. So we hope you appreciate these. <laughs> but <laughs> we, appreciate, <laughs> we appreciate that these two episodes have less than eight minutes of deleted scenes. <laughs> because the thing about deleted scenes, because you haven't necessarily seen them. So we have to write down like word for words on them. And that yeah. just takes so long. We we try to paint a picture in your yeah, head. Yeah, be an artist. Yeah. <laughs> so paint this last, last one, one for us, Chad. <laughs> okay, so there's a talking head. It's Kevin, Nellie, and Phyllis. And it's after Val and Daryl have gotten back together. And Phyllis says, you know, I, I, I feel like that little baby, oh, what's his name? He shoots you with the arrows. And Kevin speaks up and says, Stewie. <laughs> yes, it's definitely Stewie. Yeah. <laughs> Griffin, isn't it? Yeah, Stewie Griffin from Family Guy. <laughs> Uh, and Nellie says, I think Daryl owes a group of particularly astute upstairers a heartfelt apology. And Phyllis mocks him and says, yeah, stay away from the bailer and be cool around Val. And Kevin says, well, I did mess up the bailer. Nellie says, no, it was probably on its last legs anyways. And Phyllis agrees. 
that's it. That's it. There's your picture. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we are moving past this episode and going on to the next one. It is titled Suit Warehouse. It aired on my birthday. Cool. January 17th of 2013 was directed by Matt Sohn and written by Dan Greeny. Daryl finally heads to Philly with Pam to interview for Athlete. Dwight and Clark, uh, Clark, of course, who is fresh off his stay with Jan, fake a father-son relationship to make a sale with another father-son team. And the office gets an espresso machine that is put to heavy use on its first day. As it should. As it should, correct. <laughs> okay, so even though this episode is titled Suit Warehouse, I definitely don't think Dwight and Clark are the focus here. We can start with them, though. Uh, I just want to take a minute to talk about the cold open because it highlights Dwight and Jim again. So Dwight is excited about the prospect of being able to be one of the Shrewbert brothers with Jim again to tackle this family-owned suit business. He tells us about their history together of pretending to be brothers uh, in order to take down or take down to, to get sales with family businesses. Uh, they've had a lot of success with this. And so he calls Jim within seconds of receiving the news of the account being available from David Wallace. Jim, after they've gone back and forth a little bit, hangs up on him because obviously he's busy in Philadelphia. He can't do this. And so Dwight pretends that Jim said that Dwight was better than him and accidentally Freudian slips and I love you into the goodbye. <laughs> like he makes it clear to everybody in the office that he's talking to Jim. And then at the very end, he, quote, accidentally says, I love you. And I mean, we don't need to belabor this point because we've talked about it a lot, but they're buddies. I love it. They clearly had good times before as the Schubert brothers, but this would have been the first time to go out like this uh, as like friends and their newly minted friendships from the Florida storyline in season eight. So I, I love that. Mm -hmm. But alas, Jim is not there to do this thing with him. So it has been noted that Clark does not look terribly dissimilar from Dwight. So, aha. He will be my son, I will be his father, and we will tackle this uh, father-son team. And they head to this uh, this suit warehouse, and they play all buddy-buddy, best friend, father-son duo, and it comes out that actually the father of this buying duo, he and his son don't get along terribly well. Oh, and the son is the boss, not the father. So it changes their whole dynamic, and... Um, Dwight, who up until that point had taken great pleasure in, in dissing Clark once he learned that the buyer didn't get along with his son, Clark starts to get really annoyed and, oh yes, the son of the buyer is, uh, is the boss. So now Clark has a great opportunity to make this sale, which is his first chance to really do so, especially since getting back from Jan, which was a totally different kind of sale. <laughs> yeah, he, he's back from his uh, rendezvous with Jan. The Amalfi Coast. Uh, and it seems he, he he was successful in helping Dwight to land the account. He, he asked for a 50% commission from the sale, and Dwight is quick to decline that. So after uh, dedicating himself fully to the White Pages acquisition, <laughs> well put. he still wants to get into sales, and so he is happy to go with Dwight. Uh, but... Dwight reveals the flaw in this approach to making sales, even if it had been Jim. When you try to make up a way to identify with the customer, you might misread things and 
things go south. And so, yeah, Dwight majorly misreads the situation. Clark is obviously more committed to the sale than the act they put on, which is the opposite for Dwight at first. Uh, Really, the biggest thing to talk about with this part of the episode is that it shows that Dwight is now open to change when if this had happened a few seasons ago, even maybe even two seasons ago, I don't think it would have happened like this because Dwight wouldn't have been willing to... I don't want to say bend to Clark's will, but you know what I mean when I do say that. It, mm-hmm. it, it's changes tactic. Your way is obviously yeah. working. Yeah, you, you changed your tactic. Your way is working. I accept that. I will go with it. Yes, I'll buy you a suit. Yes, I'll buy me a suit because it looks good. Cool. And so Dwight again showing how he has progressed through the course of the show. He's friends with Jim now, and he's open to change. Mm-hmm. So maybe moving on to the bulk of the episode here, Daryl, who, as I said, has his interview in Philly with athlete. Pam decides to come with him. She <laughs> has this great line when when Daryl suggests that she come. She says, ha ha, that'd be great. Kind of like ditching school, except instead of getting suspended, you'd get. What do you get? <laughs> oh, my God. Why didn't I think of this? Andy's not here. Bye. <laughs> and they just like <laughs> they get up and leave because nothing can happen. My boss is away for a long time. So she goes with Daryl and uh, Daryl is pretty worried about this interview. But Pam kind of talks him down. She says, it's not a big deal. It's just a room full of gyms, lots of gyms. You can handle that. And uh, it starts off rough. When they both walk into Athlete, I mean, it's a, it's a bigger operation than either of them. It's a bigger operation than either of them were expecting. Daryl says it's got like Facebook energy. It's just modern, busy building and, and lots of important people walking around. And he gets nervous and he does not do well on his first half of the interview. He makes weird jokes and he can't answer basic questions and he starts to just quit he he gets up to go he says that he's not qualified but the uh, interviewers are really cool about it they're like look none of us were qualified we're teachers and we're we're coaches and we're editors and this one's a lawyer he's the only one that can actually do anything so calm down try again uh which i think is really cool for sure. It's a little bit weird that he tries to quit and then reveals how prepared he actually is. But I mean, yeah. it, it, it's showing it's it's a case of him getting into his own head. And after everybody else does admit, yeah, we're just as qualified as you are, like not a big deal. Then he is able to settle more naturally into things. Now, he thinks he lands the interview. It goes really, really well. They say, yeah, you'd be a great fit. And then he thinks he blows his chance after he grabs a basketball. And there's a hoop over there. And he shoots, and he misses, and he hits the light fixture that is above the fish tank, and it electrocutes and kills all the fish right after this successful interview. And so I would understandably think that I had blown my chance as well. But thankfully, these are reasonable people. And yeah, you have to pay for the fish, but we're also going to give you the job. And this is probably just something that they'll tease him about forever, and that's okay. He'll take it, and he's thrilled. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I got a little emotional for Daryl when Jim came out and said, hey, when can you start? Because, you know, I mean, he and Pam in that moment had just spent time justifying why maybe him not getting the job was actually a good thing. And Pam is obviously projecting onto her own situation, which we'll talk about, too. Uh, He says, you know, I I don't even like Philly that much. I'll only see Jade on the weekends. Um, I've got a job already and people love me there. That's fine. But we also know how much he hates his job at Dunder Mifflin right now largely because of Andy's lack of respect for the position and obviously his absence right now and his lack of opportunities to arise in the company. So this job is a big deal for him. 
after how unhappy he's been these last couple of seasons. So I was really happy for him. It was great. Now, Pam is superficially excited for Daryl. And I think in a way she really is kind of like she's excited for Jim. She is excited, but she's also worried about losing him basically to Philly, to more important things, to this job. And I don't know. I think for whatever reason, Daryl getting this job too is like another nail in the coffin. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the coffin is, but it's, yeah, it's, it's losing some stability and, and some part of her husband, I think. Yeah, I think that this finally became absolutely real to her. Yeah. Like even losing $10,000 from your bank account and investing in it, it was always something far away. She couldn't see it. But here she sees how successful it appears to be, how completely real it is. And she finally sees it as a possibility that Jim is in this for the absolute long run. She sees him in action at this new place that is going really smoothly and is rocking. It looks really great. If she had been, if she had accepted any part of this before, I think she's starting to have doubts again now. And that, that is confirmed just a little bit later when the, the guy at reception here says, oh, you know, Jim talks about you all the time. It's a shame that he has to work part-time in Scranton, though. And Pam's like, well, I think of him as working part-time in Philly. And the guy just laughs. and He says, oh, you know, we can't wait until you move up here. And Pam's like in shock. Like, that's a thing. That, that's an eventuality. And... In her reaction to Daryl's Daryl getting the job, she says, no, I'm not upset. I'm really excited for Daryl. Maybe I'm a little disappointed that we'll be losing him. And that's very clearly projecting losing who exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A small little plot here I wanted to talk about. A little bit of Pete and Aaron kind of continuing off of the last episode, Lice. When Pete greets Aaron on this day, it's like she can't get away from him fast enough. She's very wary. And Aaron has a talking head. She says, I don't really have time to think about Pete right now. I have a lot going on and this whole shipment of pens, which we'll get to. She says, I have a lot of people trusting me and I would feel super guilty if I broke anyone's trust about the pens. Now, this is not about the pens. This is about Andy. And what I think is going on here is that she really likes Pete. She really likes Pete, but she can't do anything about it. She can't break up with Andy. He's not here. She can't continue to be with Andy and have feelings for Andy because he's not here. So she's stuck and she likes this guy and I can't do anything about that. So avoid him at all costs. Yeah. And, and she's a good person who's not going to follow her urges and cheat. So yeah, if that hurts Pete's feelings a little bit right now, at least she's doing the right thing, honestly. So yeah. good for her again. <laughs> Last serious character moment I have is I just want to say that, Jim is doing it. You know, like the guy back in the pilot episode who was like, yeah, I've got this head full of paper products and prices and discounts and whatnot. He now has a business that mm -hmm. appears to be going full speed ahead. It looks great. Yeah, he's put Pam through some strife, but Pam is saying firsthand that it looks like all their investment and sacrifice has been worth it in some regards. Yes, she still has her reservations about it happening, but I just want to say I'm really impressed with Jim because he is finally like, doing something and it's going well for him so credit where credit's due yeah i mean it looks like he's living his dream job and it looks awesome and very successful so to transition into funny moments we want to talk about the whole coffee slash espresso side plot that happens here that is fantastic because katie and i we we're both coffee people coffee drinkers we love coffee we both just had time. coffee here approaching uh, midnight on my end 
just mm. to do this podcast. We like the coffee. Coffee stuff. right here. Yes. <laughs> uh, I've had so much coffee today. And that, that is okay. It's cool. And it's because I like coffee, people. It's not because I need to stay awake. It's because I like coffee a lot. Anyways. So <laughs> Enough Jan... about coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, more about coffee. More about actually. coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Jan has gifted the office an espresso machine. You mentioned that earlier. It comes with 16 flavors. And everyone left behind at the office decides to try them all in a short period of time. And hilarity ensues. Everybody has their hands in like a sports team. And Angela won't come over. And Kevin says, don't make us come to you. And they do because she's not coming to them. And so they awkwardly stagger across the kitchen with their arms still in this, the middle of the circle. And Angela puts a napkin over their hands and whatever. Uh, and they all chant, we all drink them all. We all drink them all. In my notes, I just wrote, I mean, same. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yes. We... Uh... <laughs> got a an, an espresso machine recently uh as a gift mm. and it came with this you know the assortment of of coffees to try <laughs> and it's very it's a very similar experience <laughs> it's like okay keep trying <laughs> a lot of caffeine in this house oh it should be noted that this espresso machine is from clark as a gift from jan which is super interesting i just have question mark <laughs> So now that they're all extremely caffeinated, uh, they've been drinking espresso all day long. Everyone's very sweaty. Kevin says, it feels really hot in here. Is it hot in here? It feels really hot in here. And Oscar is just losing it. He says, that's insane. They need to have the AC on year round. January too. And Angela's banging on the window. Like, I don't get the point of this window. And they're just like apes. They're just like tearing <laughs> the place apart, trying to cool down because they've had so much coffee. Angela looks like a little sweaty gremlin. <laughs> <laughs> later uh they're still hyped up on the caffeine oscar says everyone now that we have all this energy why don't we move the copier into the anise like we've always wanted to everybody's really excited about this idea they move the copier they they give it a big hefty push on three and it tears the carpet beneath and oscar says wow it's beautiful hardwood i always knew it was down here i just never dreamed that i would actually see it <laughs> And Meredith shouts, tear up the carpet. <laughs> and so they all start ripping up the carpet. Now, I think we knew, we did know that there was hardwood under the carpet. Oscar says he knew. Yes. But it's from the end of season six. Yeah, when season Dwight six. shot. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Actually, it would have been se season seven. Was that really it would have been seven? Uh, yeah. Dwight Kesru acting manager because Michael's gone at that point. Gosh, that feels further, further back. But yes, when he shot a hole in the floor... You could see mm -hmm. through the carpet that there was uh, yeah. hardwood. Yeah, Oscar says, my God, there's a hardwood floor <laughs> underneath this carpeting. Why would they do that? What a nice throwback. That's really great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, they tear up like half the carpet and then everyone <laughs> it's after gets... after five. <laughs> it's after five. And everyone's really cranky and they have headaches and they're bickering <laughs> and they're off their caffeine high and they notice it's five o'clock. And so, okay, time to go, except they're halfway through this project and now the office looks terrible. And they all head downstairs and they all try to leave at the same time and they cause a traffic jam in the parking lot and there's honking and yelling and they all just need a nap now or another cup of coffee. <laughs> I vote another oh, cup yes. of coffee. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> we mentioned the cold open a little bit, but um, I'm going to go into it in, in the comedy aspect of it. We get some flashbacks of what Jim and Dwight used to be when they were brothers. We see them leaving a law firm in slicked back, greasy hair, and we see them leaving a construction business wearing flannel. 
a motorcycle store in all leather. And as you mentioned, your names were Jim and Dwight Schrupert. <laughs> Dwight says he was the dynamic, likable winner that was doted upon by their mother, and Jim was the closeted foot fetishist pretending to belong. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that was Dwight's idea. Yeah, probably. He says, they didn't know about it, but I knew it. <laughs> Pam, uh, talking to Daryl on the way to Philadelphia, says, well, you shouldn't be nervous about this. This is a tiny startup with a bunch of guys just as dorky as Jim. Daryl says, yeah, I guess. Pam says, really, you can't be scared of a room full of gyms. I love the guy, but he's basically Gumby with hair. <laughs> Gumby, that's a throwback. That is a throwback. I mentioned this Aaron Penn thing earlier, and I love this, this line. So Pam, on her way out, says, hey, Aaron, I'm going to Philly. I'm supposed to be getting a shipment of pens. Can you be in charge of that? And Aaron, what does that mean? Pam just says, okay, we'll just make sure everything's in order. And Aaron kind of tries to ask, what, okay, what are you asking me to do? But Pam just leaves without explaining. So Aaron's just so, sort of on deck all day waiting for these pens to come in. And when she finally does receive the shipment of pens, she's, she's thrilled that she like has them. And she, okay, but now what do I do with them? Do I take them out of the box or do I leave them in the box? Of course, she's very caffeinated by this point. And so she decides to go ahead and unload them onto the shelves. And Pete and Kevin give her a hard time about being the new office administrator. And she freaks out. She says, no, no, like, that's not my job. That's not my job. And so she starts putting the, the pens back into the box. And she says, pens, you did not buy into this. I am so sorry. What a day you've had. <laughs> <laughs> and to wrap up this little pen line, when Pam and Daryl return to the office and see the torn up office carpet everywhere, Aaron's rushing out the door and Pam just asked her what happened. And uh, Aaron says, you left me in charge of the pens, Pam. That's what happened. The pens happened. And Pam looks around, not seeing the pens, and asks, are, are the pens here? <laughs> Where are they? But it's, it's been a day, and Aaron needs to go. After Daryl has killed the fish, he is moping in the lobby area with Pam. She's trying to comfort him. She says, they're the ones who put a fish tank next to a basketball hoop. It's like if I put a glass of milk on the edge of the table and Cece knocks it over, I don't blame Cece. Daryl says, so I'm like a three-year-old girl in this scenario. <laughs> Yeah, kind of, Daryl, a little bit. <laughs> half gross, half funny, Clark here, discussing his time with Jan, which they don't get into much detail, except that they were in the Amalfi Coast. And Clark thinks that uh, women reach their sexual peak at whatever age Jan was last week. <laughs> because he says, I mean, it was like making love with a wild animal, but not a cougar, like you might think. It was like a swarm of bees. Bees that just find something wrong with every hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's not my favorite, but he's uh, really funny in that, in that moment. Whatever age Jan was last week. <laughs> this is right after he's entered the office, too. And he sees Meredith, who in this episode, remember, she's bald, everybody. She's wearing a wig. And that's part of the fun of the rest of the series is that we see Meredith wearing a whole bunch of wigs. And this one is like long and dark and haphazard and just a mess. And Clark says, what's with the wig, Meredith? She says, what? Is it on backwards? And she like lifts it, <laughs> revealing her bald head to Clark and turns it. And it still looks really bad. But he says, oh, um, nope, you, you, you got it. You, you fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> when Clark and Dwight are doing their father-son thing, Dwight starts making like, when he's sort of ragging on Clark and he, he tells a story that Clark eats like cat turds and whatever. And it just got, it starts to get really weird. And uh, when they have a moment alone, Clark says, hey, so 
all of that really specific cat turd business that was about you, right? Like that was from your childhood. And uh, Dwight says, now you got me. I used to collect them. And Clark says, why? I says, each one is very different, like a snowflake. Uh, yikes. Okay. I, I've never paid that close attention to cat turds. No, don't, don't care to. <laughs> no. Earlier in the episode when Clark and Dwight are on good terms for the sales meeting, Dwight has picked up a picture of the businessmen, uh, the father and son duo, hunting. They're in hunting gear. And so Dwight talks to him about hunting, and Clark says, oh, yeah, my, my dad is the best hunter there is. I mean, he's like a serial killer of animals. One time he snuck up behind a sleeping deer and just sawed its head right off. It was sick. Just like, you are clearly not playing. You're not reading the room right here. This isn't going very well. Please stop. <laughs> Stanley is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed after having several espressos, unlike how we usually see him, and he's in a good mood. And he says, ah, so this is what 2 p.m. looks like around here. And he has a talking head. He says, I usually take a siesta about now, but not today. He's fine today. <laughs> Sounds like the right amount. I love that talking head because it's just so straight to the fact, very plainly said, I usually take a siesta right about now. And that's it. That's <laughs> the talking head. It's that's pretty great. It. Going way back to the cold open, uh, which isn't really a cold open, but we'll call it that anyways. Uh, so Jim and Dwight are on the phone with each other and Jim says, okay, so th there's no possible way I can get there. So just ask Phyllis. She can be your older sister or something. Dwight says, Phyllis, my sister, more like my dead great, great grandmother who died of stupidity. And Phyllis behind him says, I have ears, Dwight. Dwight says, oh, do you really have ears, Phyllis? Like all human beings, we all have ears. And he goes back to Jim. See what you leave me with here, Jim? <laughs> yeah, that was good. When Dwight is calling Jim in the cold open, as we'll call it, he says, I hope you've been paying your wig storage bills, Jimbo, because it's time for another episode of Handsome and Stinky, Paper Brothers for Hire, which I like. And unfortunately, Jim, he can't make it, as we said, because he's in Philly, but Dwight insists. He says, get in your car and drive down. You can be here in 30 minutes if you go 240 miles per hour. Jim asks how long it would take him if he went 300 miles per hour, and Dwight's calculating, <laughs> and that's when Jim hangs up. And uh, Dwight does the whole, okay, thank you. Yes, I am better than you. I love you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, everyone looks at him weird, but he's, <laughs> Jim's just sort of doing his mild pranking of like, what's that one it reminds me of? It's like uh, when the apocalypse is going to happen, like, could it be 375 oh, yeah. days? Yeah, it could be. <laughs> well, could it be 378 days? Yeah, yeah, it's a real possibility. <laughs> that sounds very reasonable to me. <laughs> Going back to the sales meeting with Clark and Dwight, uh, this is at the point where Clark has convinced Dwight to buy him a suit, so he's trying it on. And so the son says, that's Italian silk, very comfortable, very tasteful, although expensive. Dwight says, yeah, you don't want Italian, you'll look like a mafia don. Next thing you know, you'll be doing life in Rikers Island. Clark says, well, that's better than looking like the undertaker for a boring island. Dwight says, that place doesn't exist. It's not a documented <laughs> island. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, cartograph much? I've got one last one from Kevin. It's after his X number espresso. He tosses his cup to the ground and says, yes. And then he starts like powerlifting Angela like she's a dumbbell. He's like actually counting one, two. And <laughs> meanwhile, Angela's protesting. Hey, put me down. And Oscar's trying to help her. Uh, it's pretty good. So moving on to some deleted scenes. Again, not a million here, but several. 
in the conference room, everyone's on their phones doing various things, again, on their smartphones. And Phyllis was trying to read a very detailed document off of her phone, which is taking some time and some effort. Daryl and Nellie are texting. Oscar's looking at pictures. Pam is looking at art supplies, but then her phone dies. And she looks up and it's 522. And she tells everyone that they can go home, but no one cares. They're just on their phones. So I guess this is how uh, conference room meetings go these days when there's no one to run them. Yeah, I think this would have been a better cold open than Jim biting his lip and leaving. But either way. Uh, next, we've got a Pete talking head. He says, yeah, I thought Aaron and I were becoming pretty good friends. But then suddenly, I, I don't know. I've been doing that thing where you go back and look at every comment you've made and try to figure out if you've said anything offensive. And I know I haven't said anything more offensive than other people in this office. That's setting the bar pretty low. <laughs> True. Yes, it is. <laughs> you live, you, you work in an office with Kevin and Creed and Meredith. Yeah. Yep. And Dwight. Aaron has put out signs for delivery uh, <laughs> for the person bringing the pens. I love this deleted scene. I love this whole plot. <laughs> Uh, there's one right outside the elevator. There's another right around the corner leading him to Dunder Mifflin. And when he gets there, she jumps out of her seat and demands to know, are these the pens? And he says, I don't know. I don't open the boxes. And she opens it. It's the pens. She's very excited. And then she realizes that she doesn't have any cash. What do I do? <laughs> I can't pay for them. <laughs> can't tip you. And Mike, the delivery guy, says, it's okay. It's already been paid for. No, take tips. And a, a very relieved Aaron tells him that he needs to get out of here before she does something crazy. And when he leaves, she looks at the pens and just starts crying and clapping like, we did it. <laughs> you, you left out a crazy line. She says, you mother effing lifesaver. Oh, <laughs> like, holy yes. Crap, Aaron. Yes, yeah. I yeah. did so forget like, that. She just casually drops the mother effer. <laughs> uh, okay. Out of nowhere. She's clearly very, very proud excited. of her. <laughs> pen delivery covering abilities she even like sheds a tear before the, <laughs> the moment's over we get a subplot that's cut uh for good reason because it kind of conflicts with something that happens in a future episode not a big deal uh toby nervously dials on his phone and reveals that he has called weinsburg prison or weensburg i think he pronounces it mm. and he's calling for george howard scub who the person on the phone might know as the scranton strangler when prompted to say who's calling, Toby says, uh, just, just tell him it's someone who believes in second chances. N no, of course. Why would you forward such a cryptic message? <laughs> and he says, oh, it, it's, it's Toby Flenderson, juror number eight, the one who held out for as long as he could before giving in to pressure and sending him away for the rest of his life. Yeah, I'll hold. <laughs> and we get another deleted scene to close that up. Uh, Toby has apparently arranged a visitation with George Howard Scubb. He says, great, I'll, I'll see you then. And you enjoy life on the inside. Uh, um, yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like I said, no spoilers. This deleted scene does conflict with something that happens later in the season. So it's understandable why the side plot was cut from the episode. Just mm -hmm. rest assured that we're not done with the Scranton Strangler in season nine. It does come back. But it is interesting that, uh, that he and Mr. Scubb had such a pleasant sounding conversation. Yeah, apparently. Angela is holding an espresso cup and asks Stanley if he knows what she loves about this. He says that if she says what she loves about it is how tiny it is that he's going to smack her. <laughs> Phyllis then asks Oscar to try the green espresso pod. Oscar corrects her. He says, you mean the capriccio? And Phyllis says, no, the green one. <laughs> <laughs> She's holding up the green like little this pod. this one. <laughs> <laughs> he has a sip and says it's lovely, but I've already had two. Probably shouldn't have any more. 
And then Meredith doesn't seem to understand espresso because she thinks it's dumb <laughs> how small they are. She says you need like five of them to make a real cup of coffee. She takes Oscar's cup and dumps it in her coffee cup. Not what espresso is. And do not try this at home or, or do small sips. <laughs> no, I mean, I drink a lot of coffee. I would never drink the equivalent of five espressos worth in like one sitting. Not that in one sitting. That is a crazy amount. Yeah. <laughs> I love espresso, but. Over a day, maybe. Yeah, but, but not all yeah. at once. Next, we, we get a, pretty much all of the deleted scenes for this episode are related to the coffee storyline, which is delightful. Creed is talking with Meredith. He says, you know, I just watched the show and I'm like, yes, I do think I can dance. Do you know what I mean? Meredith says, we should start dancing. Creed says, yes. Are you a pop and locker or do you do floor work? Meredith says, oh, I do floor work. All right. He says, hi, you're a firecracker. I love it. <laughs> Stanley is on fire with his work. He's shocked that he normally sleeps through the most productive part of his day. I'm sure it had nothing to do with all the espresso he's had, but maybe this is what he needs. I'm just saying he's uh, yeah, maybe so. He's on fire. Okay. So Oscar, we, we get a glimpse over his shoulder of him typing like a madman into a word processing document on his computer. And we zoom in and we see that it's a letter to the editor of the New Yorker. And I, I want to read you some of this. I took a screenshot because it is just madness. He says, yet yeah, I'm perfect for this job. I think you'll associate the name Oscar with excellence. Hollywood does. And I would be continuing the tradition of literary excellence by gay Oscars. I'm no Oscar Wilde, but I can't get Oscar Wilde. <laughs> Sorry, I know puns are a lazy way out for a writer, but come on, give me a break. See, you're judging me again. You need to stop judging me. I get to judge you. And when we judge, aren't we really lashing out for the reasons we hate ourselves? See, I can psychoanalyze. I could be perfect fit for Mr. Remnick. Uh, I, I can be profound. I can be profuse. I can be of use to you and your fine establishment. I'm sorry if I seemed hypercritical before, but it's only because I believe in the integrity of this fine magazine. And I hope you see my enthusiasm and select me to help you through these rocky and difficult times. Because really, in the end, don't we all need a helping hand? And it goes on. That was one paragraph. There's another full paragraph. And by the end of this deleted scene, he's written another full paragraph. This is page 112 of yes. this letter. And he's page not 112. <laughs> no, he, he's still going away like a madman. He, he closes out what we see with. Go digital completely. I mean, it is the future. The future is now. Live in the, it could be live in the moment, live in the present. I don't know what it is, but 112 pages of just yep. this madness. And, uh, and that's <laughs> the deleted scenes for this episode. So, yeah. Ooh, all righty. I believe we have several voicemails for, for today. We do have several voicemails. Hey, I just got an email from Texas Tech Football. <laughs> um, <laughs> also creepy. Okay, we have several voicemails. We're actually going to split them between this episode and the episode we're going to record in just a couple more days, uh, just because it's already a long episode and we have some stuff to get through. So first off, we have a voicemail from Melanie. Hi, Chad and Katie. This is Melanie. I really love the podcast. I have two questions. First of all, knowing that Chad is a musician, I was wondering if you uh, recorded the piano intro uh, from the, uh, the, the, the theme song of The Office. I think it's really cool. Uh, and I don't know if it's you, but if it is, I think it would be awesome. Uh, my other question is, um, how do you feel about Andy's story arc in the ninth season? And is, is it, um, 
what this character should always have been heading for, do you think? Or did the fact that Ed Helm had to be away for filming The Hangover back the writers into a corner and they had to try to fit this somehow and it just had this impact on Andy's character. He turned out to be a real jerk in the last season and I, it really made me sad because I really liked him before. And I was just wondering, what do you think about that? Is it what naturally should have come out of this character or is it something that you feel had has been brought upon because of the outside situation? So thanks again for everything and for the podcast. Love it and have a great day. Bye. Okay. Thank you, Melanie, for the voicemail. So to answer your first question, yes, I recorded the theme song for the podcast myself. Um, and to say recorded is putting it a little loosely. I did learn how to play the office theme song and then arranged it in a way I wanted to on my computer. Uh, so it, it's me playing, but it's not like a recording of me playing, if that makes sense. It's through technology. And by the way, Katie's a musician too. Uh, just there, there was another like email or voicemail we got recently. It was like, we hadn't talked about it in a long time. So yeah, that's how yeah. Katie and I met. We're both musicians. Yeah. Mine's just not career-based at this point, but I, I would trust Chad at this time to do more music things than I would. So that was all him. <laughs> but then to address the bulk of your voicemail, and this is eerie, This is so creepy. Okay. So less than half an hour before receiving this voicemail, not even an exaggeration, less than half an hour before receiving this voicemail, we talked about this exact thing like down to like specific phrasing you used about Andy and his character progression into this season. Uh, that is a bonus episode on our Patreon. Uh, I hate to do that. We're, I, I don't, we're not going to have this full conversation again right now, but to keep it short and to answer the question at least, yes and no. We thought that this was sort of where Andy was, was heading, but yes, it was also influenced by external decisions. And so, like I said, I hate to do this, but if you go to our Patreon, you can hear our full like 10 minute conversation about this. It was so eerie. Katie it and was I had verbatim. said goodbye. <laughs> we had said goodbye. And like 20 minutes later, we got this voicemail. I was like, Katie, this are you kidding me? <laughs> it was exactly what we talked about. So yes, if you are a Patreon subscriber, bonus 34, we discussed this verbatim. So check that out. Um, you must have a mic in our apartments because this is exactly accurate. So. Well done. Uh, pre predicting <laughs> our uh, our discussion topics. Okay, so uh, next voicemail is from Luke from Memphis. Oh, actually, I'm not going to play this. One. I'm going to play his second one <laughs> because Luke left this fantastic voicemail, everybody, where he starts asking us a question and then he drops his phone <laughs> mid-call and he apologizes and he says he's going to leave us another one and he, he does and so here's the second voicemail we received from Luke Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Luke, I'm from Memphis I looked out a pretty weird message but I dropped my phone but it's all good um, <laughs> I've been watching The Office for several years now and I've never been a fan of Pam so I just wanted to see what you guys thought about it um, she's, a, she's a cheater she cheated on Roy um, she lied to become office administrator with no experience or anything with that. And my biggest problem with Pam is the fact that he doesn't support Jim and his business venture the way that he supported her and her art. And I just wanted to hear what you guys thought about that because Jim was all for it from the jump. Like even before they were together, I'll support. He wanted to support that, and she's not giving him that same juice. 
But y'all keep grinding. I feel like this is the thing that's going to blow up after y'all are done, for real. So keep grinding. Peace. Okay, Katie, any thoughts on Luke's opinion of Pam and maybe any answers to his questions? Yeah. Regarding the art school versus athlete thing, I think the big consideration here is that it wasn't as if they had the discussion of... Sorry, I, okay, I, I think I have two thoughts on this. One is, I don't think that they had the discussion of, should I do art school? No. Okay. And then they decide on that, and then Pam goes and does it anyway, which is exactly what happened with Jim. And second, they're not married at that point. And marriage is a team, and you've got you've to decide on stuff together. And they have a family. They have kids. It's so much more than just him following a pipe dream, which it looks, I mean, it's, it's great that athlete is having success and that Jim appears to be doing well, but he made this big decision, not only to take another job, but to risk like moving their family, which he didn't discuss with Pam at all versus Pam doing art school in New York during a dating relationship. I just think it's really different. I get what you mean, Luke. And I can see why that would appear to be like unsupportive. But I think in any other circumstance, had Jim really pushed for it and said like, no, I I think this is really something I need to do uh, in their initial conversation, I think Pam would have been supportive. But that's not what happened. They agreed that he wouldn't do it. And then he did. Right. Addressing just a couple things and adding my own thoughts. So you mentioned... Pam cheating on Roy, which, yes, did happen. But, I mean, you have to consider the other circumstances that were happening at the time. Roy was abusive. It was the only relationship she'd ever had. And when I say abusive, I don't mean he was hitting her or yelling at her all the time, but he was absolutely not supportive of anything she wanted to do. Everything was about him. And so I'm not saying that that justifies her cheating on him, but I get it. Like, Real life is hard and relationships are complicated. And that goes on to my thoughts about what's happening now in season nine. Life is hard. Situations are different. Jim supported Pam for art school, but that was always temporary. Even if she had retaken the courses, remember she failed. If she had retaken courses and stayed in New York for a few more months, she still would have been back in Scranton eventually. Jim here is starting a full-fledged business in Philadelphia. It's a permanent situation. Plus, like you said, he went behind her back to do it. They'd already mutually decided that he wouldn't. So it's not even that they didn't discuss it. It's that they did discuss it. They said no together as a unit, and he did it anyways. So I like Jim. I think he's a good guy. But he made a mistake here. And so I, I, I think it's, it's fair for Pam to maybe not be as supportive, just considering all the factors. So like I said, the answer is it's complicated. And there's still more to talk about as season nine progresses and this storyline continues on. But that, that's our thoughts for now. <laughs> and I think I'll speak for Chad here as well as myself when we say we're fans of Pam mm-hmm. and, and we're team Jim and Pam and, and want them to succeed and do well. So no one's perfect and uh, or nobody's perfect. And uh, <laughs> n- these two are included in that. They've each had moments of not being a perfect spouse or a perfect dating partner either and as you said relationships are complicated and it's give and take and i think she's doing as well as she can in the situation one more voicemail that you will hear today is from aiden Uh, he left us a complimentary voicemail that we'll play at the end of the episode so thank you aiden for reaching out and we'll save these other voicemails for our next episode but we'll go ahead and mention names since we have them 
uh, there's Sam from California, Sydney from California, and also Joel from California. Wow, I didn't even notice. All three from California. So At a, a club <laughs> in Cali. Yeah, I guess so. I hope you all hang out and talk about <laughs> the office and us. That'd be fun. <laughs> no, don't talk about us, please. You all know each other, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll hear from Sam, Sydney, and Joel in the next episode. We'll hear from Aiden at the very end of this one. And we're almost done with episode 100. And I know this episode is already running long, but I, I, I would say I have a surprise, but that makes it sound like I have something for everybody else. <laughs> but this is a surprise for me. And since it's episode 100, I just want to talk about the Funko Pops that I had delivered this, that they arrived today, actually. And so anyways, if you want to watch that happening, I don't know, I might even cut this from the audio episode, but it's on Twitch, me unboxing my office Funkos, which I'm really excited to have. That's pretty fun. And not excited to find a space for. So (laughs) with that, everybody, that is the end of episode 100, the end of the official 100th episode of An American Workplace. We have made it. And we're done. That's it. That's it. We're going to stop there. Nice, even 100. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Contact for the show, <laughs> facebook.com slash workplace pod at workplace pod on Twitter, which as we mentioned earlier, is our favorite platform to communicate with all of you at. Please go over to Apple Podcasts, continue to rate, review, and subscribe. I've been watching the little ratings number and it's ticked up a few in the last couple of days, which usually means that there are a couple of reviews upcoming. So hopefully we get those soon. We would also love if you emailed us. Uh, We're a little bit behind on responding to some emails. We'll do that soon. Uh, But if you have feedback for us or ideas or just want to say hi, you can email us workplacepod at gmail.com. And there is our voicemail line. You can call us to be heard on the show like you heard from a few of the other listeners today. All you have to do is dial 93-PRETS-DAY. That is 937-738-9329. And we would love to hear from you. Just make sure you say your name. You keep it short and sweet. Try and keep it under a minute so that we aren't taking up too much time. And yeah. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady 63 Also occasionally on Facebook at facebook.com slash kd.white. The best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And there's my other podcast, Cinescope. You can hear that where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And all show notes and contact information for this show can be found at WorkplacePodcast.com. We've got a new Patreon supporter in Evan. Thank you so much, Evan, for your support and to all of our patrons for their support. If you want to shout out on more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level you think is worth it to you at Patreon.com slash WorkplacePod. And that is all for this week. Thank you once again for joining us as we watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 100 of An American Workplace. That's it. Or you can make sure to join us in episode 101 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season nine, Customer Loyalty and Junior Salesman. Bye. Bye. It's you. Oh, okay. It's me. <laughs> it's me. Go ahead. I did not have that number prepared either. I'm looking it up pre- or rapidly. Porque es muy rápido. Um, see, Excellent Looking callback. up the word. <laughs>
uh, looking up the word lice on the episode called lice is not helpful. That's tricky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I'm not even on the wrong up ep- or the correct episode. So <laughs> excellent. She has discovered that she has feelings fe- that she has feelings. <laughs> she has feelings for Pete. <laughs> feelings for feet. Phyllis is trying to read a detailed document off of her phone very difficultly. Oh, my God. Sorry. We're fine. Okay. I just knocked over things, but it's fine. Michael Scott holding Uh, his world's best boss mug. Classic. uh, It's been too long to mention Michael. Michael. Yes. Michael. Nice to say the name. (laughs) (laughs) Michael. (laughs) Um, This is Aiden Roberts. I would like like to say that i love your videos and i i mean your podcast and i would i really look forward to listening to your other podcast before the series ends and dwight christmas it's a really great great podcast video podcast um whatever you would call it and keep up your great work. 